up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Aggressively Okay podcast. I am your host, Joseph Salamone, and today I'm joined by my scrumptious co-host. You've introduced me as many different birds before, but scrumptious is a new one. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Trying to keep, um, uh, keep you on your toes, Adam. <laughs> uh, my name is Adam Sidorius, and today I am joined by a dear friend of the pod, uh, somehow his first time on. You want to yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that is true. This is my first time. Yeah, I don't. And the thing is, man, uh, I, I hold we bought a mic responsible for this pod um, because I would have never made a podcast if I didn't guest on yours so many times. Yeah, you kind of just became such a recurring guest that we thought about just having you on as like a permanent <laughs> member. And you had to you had to secede. It's OK. You had to start your free. <laughs> You're kind of like the syndicate of podcasts to Weave on a Mic, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> well, um, I was recording my uh, other podcast, Elenio Cannon, a few weeks ago, and uh, a friend of the pod, Kira Coffer, said, I think we all have a cinematic universe in our like little <laughs> film Twitter world, and We Bought a Mic is definitely in our cinematic universe of podcasts. Um, so I'm very excited to have Hunter because I think – I, we have a like similar interest in a lot of different franchises, but I think the one we both go to a lot is the Mission Impossible franchise, right? Oh yeah, without a doubt. I have like an immense um, nostalgia towards this franchise. I remember whenever the first movie came out in '96, I believe. Um, yeah, that's correct, '96. Yeah, and. Um, I remember whenever I was around the time of Mission Impossible 2 coming out uh, back in like 2001. So at that point I was like six, seven years old and I would go to the local library that I had and I would just kind of interchange renting either Mission Impossible 1 or 2. (laughs) And then Mission Impossible 3 came out on VHS at the local Blockbuster. I like lost my mind. I got my mom to take me right away. At that point I was like 11 and so... I've been eating this shit up forever, and yeah, Mission Impossible is my life. I like to think of myself as the Ethan Hunt of podcasts. <laughs> um, I mean, Joey, did you grow up with Mission Impossible, or was it kind of like a late addition to your life? Um, I had seen uh, Mission Impossible 1, 2, and 3 when I was younger, but it wasn't until kind of I, t- I was in kind of my... I, when I started kind of watching films a bit more seriously in like middle school and high school, I did go back and return to Mission Impossible, and I... I, I must say this this franchise is better than James Bond. I think I love I love me some Mission Impossible movies. I think they're the cream of the crop, and Ethan Hunt is better than James Bond. That's all I gotta say. I'll I'll okay. I have like a couple thoughts on that. Look, <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. I said before on a different like, podcast that Mission Impossible is the greatest uh, massive franchise IP that we have, and therefore I think that Ethan Hunt is better and more consistent character than james bond i um i'll say this i think i definitely prefer mission impossible more um prior to fallout i always said that i while i prefer mission impossible more and ethan hunt more i always thought that the highs of james bond were higher than the highs of mission impossible but and not to spoil none of the pod fallout came out and i completely <laughs> changed that opinion because uh, I would say that's better than every James Bond movie, like, combined. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, my thing with Mission Impossible was I actually didn't watch them when I was a kid. I um, I 
I think I, I definitely knew what they were. Like I never, um, it wasn't like a foreign thing to me when I d- discovered it. I think I just never got around to it. Um, I actually think I just binged the first three when Ghost Protocol was coming out. And that was my first time watching them. Um, and I remember seeing Ghost Protocol in IMAX and that just blowing me away. And I was like instantly a fan of the franchise after that. And, um, you know, not to spoil our thoughts as we go on, but like, you know, I just think they get better and better as they go along. It's one of the most consistently, um, not only consistent franchises, but it's a franchise that always evolves as it goes along, which I think is a really admirable trait about the franchise itself. Um, so let's dive in, boys. The first Mission Impossible movie. Um, and one of the things that's so admirable about this franchise is the change of directors almost every film. Mm hmm. Um, and this one is uh, directed by Brian De Palma, of all people, um, <laughs> who I would never peg to make a Mission Impossible movie, but he did. And um, Hunter, do you want to tell us your thoughts on the first Mission Impossible movie? Well, I, it's kind of crazy that this is even in the same franchise as something like Fallout, because this movie is such an espionage film. Like, it's not... There is no crazy stunts or anything like that that doesn't really come along until later on the franchise the big set piece in the third act is uh really horrible cgi that (laughs) (laughs) kind of move away from as it goes on but i mean it's another thing that stood out for me watching re-watching uh these films for this podcast was how the very beginning of the film kind of reminds me a lot of alien in that there's no real close-ups of tom cruise And so if you put yourself back in the mind of like 1996, if you didn't really know a lot and kind of strolled into the movie theater, you might just think this is John Voight's movie. I mean, (laughs) because he was the biggest star. He plays Jim Phelps, who is a character from the TV show. And then Tom Cruise kind of just emerges uh, in that one big scene that we'll get to. Well, I'm curious. Did you watch the show at all? Like even revisiting it or... You no, just like, I've never, I've never actually watched the show. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think my grandfather watched it a little bit, and he always kind of like scoffed at the movies because he was like one of those guys who was like, they can't do it better than the original. But like, <laughs> I always, I saw like a little bit of the show, but not too much. Um, yeah, the first one I really admire, and I like it even more each time I watch it because it's such a contained little thriller. Um, I think the scene that everyone loves in this movie is the scene where he is um hacking into like is it the fbi or the uh that's uh yeah langley like the langley heist yeah um it is (laughs) it's like it's not as crazy as some of his other stunts that tom cruise does um but i think it's one of the most tense scenes in mission impossible history it is absolutely incredible like just the suspense of it and the way it builds up and you set up the scenario perfectly um yeah it's just flawless um i mean joey what do you think about that um i i kind of have a lot of the same punts that uh, a lot of the same thoughts that hunter does in regard to the first one i think it's really it really kind of it is interesting that like brian de palma did this one and it does it kind of feels like it stands on its own i always do forget that it's a it's an adaptation of a television show but i think like i said that scene where he's kind of hanging from the ceiling is so remarkable even though the uh the CGI in the last act of the movie is really shitty. It's it's aged very poorly. It it aged poorly, but there's something about it, like just the like frantic nature of the third act, that still <laughs> really works for me personally. Like, 
I don't know. Like it's it, it's very confident in itself. Like a lot of Brian De Palma movies. Like it yeah. em- embraces the silliness, and that's what I love about it. Like I just think it has like this really perfect combination of where maybe the next one we talk about jumps the shark a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. This one does it just enough, like where it's tolerable, but you believe it, you know. Um, and yeah, it is weird. I mean, I, and I, oh, sorry. I mean, I cut you off there, but I do think that one thing that I do, I, it, it makes me laugh. And some people would say that's made it age bad, but Brian De Palma has a tendency to uh, date his films. And this is extremely dated from the use of floppy disks to hack into Langley to uh, Tom Cruise, just scrolling on Netscape. It is <laughs> so nineties in like every possible way, but I kind of love it for that. Yeah, and that that is admirable though, because like I I guess if people want to complain that he dates his movies, I think that's just the thing about this franchise. Like each movie does that. Like even um, you know, not to jump ahead, but Mission Impossible Three very much was like a mid two thousands movie with the product placement and just like the cars and like everything about it. Like each movie feels definitely defined by the generation in which it was made. Um, but I think that's a good thing. Because it just shows the long-lasting hold that this franchise has on Hollywood. And, yeah, I dig it. And it's mm-hmm. weird to think, in retrospect, that this series has really evolved around Ethan Hunt. And they've tried many times to separate themselves from him, like when it comes to Jeremy Renner's character. Or even, like, uh, just in this movie. Like, it tried to make it more of an ensemble movie, but he just happened to be the last guy alive. But looking back on it, it's weird how much this movie wasn't a Tom Cruise centerpiece. It was just a Mission Impossible movie, you know? It also has one of the best moments of Ethan Hunt in the entire franchise when he goes full, like, Mark Ruffalo overacting. Just like, (laughs) my team! They're dead! They're all dead! (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and that's what you go for, right? Like, when you see a Tom Cruise movie, it's like you, you go for, like... Because I, I feel like he doesn't really play it up anymore like he used to. He definitely, I mean, if we're going to transition slowly into Mission Impossible 2, it almost was like a completely different Ethan in that movie. Like, and even 2 to 3, like they all feel like different Ethans. It wasn't really until the later sequels that it felt like they really defined the character and solidified him. Because in the first three movies, he feels completely different in each one. Do you guys agree? Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting to see. Yeah, like I like like it's each movie is a kind of Tom Cruise trying to like reinvent himself, and I think the and I do I, I think I you know the whole franchise is kind of known for kind of the revolving door of directors, but I think I, I do it kind of has a you referenced Alien and Aliens. It's kind of one of those things where each like each director kind of gets to make their own version of the same movie. So I I I, I agree, Adam. I don't know if, and, if you asked a question or not. I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if we're going to transition to two, I think that's the best way to do it is by saying um, it is like Alien franchise where each director gets to do their own thing for better or worse. Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Mission Impossible 2, 2 is a complete John Woo movie <laughs> from start to finish. This movie is John Woo crazy. Um, Hunter, what do you think about this movie? So I know that this movie gets a ton of crap because it is like the worst of the franchise, just like looking at it. But I have a lot of love for this movie. Um, 
one because of like they John Woo, as with everything that he does, really goes for it in ways <laughs> that most directors won't. And also, I mean, this film is really important for the franchise because it established the expectation of what crazy thing is Tom Cruise going to do next? From the very first time we see him in this movie, it's him hanging off the cliffside and he was actually hanging off the cliffside. And then it kind of started this whole momentum of like, all right, let's build on that. Let's add motorcycle chases. Let's do whatever to keep going to the next level. Yeah. I mean, this one, (laughs) I I, I struggle to even know where to start with it because Mm -hmm. It is such a chaotic movie, and you can reference that in, like, and point to, like, the action, but even, like, just thematically, it's weird. It's, like, a oh, weird it movie. Sense. Mm-hmm. No, no sense. Well, and it's funny, like, because I, I looked back on, like, the marketing for this movie, and this movie heavily markets um, Anthony Hopkins as the main bad guy, which is a blatant <laughs> lie. He isn't. <laughs> he's, he's not. So I, I can only imagine that the critical and both audience hate for this movie spawns from the fact that the marketing lied to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it was nothing like the first movie, and it's all around very goofy. But if anyone knows me, and Joe knows what I'm about to say, <laughs> I like sequels that subvert expectations, and I kind of love this movie. It's like, <laughs> it's okay, it's not great. I don't think it's better than the first movie. But it's kind of fucking cool. Like, it's <laughs> it's a cool movie, dude. Like, when he's, like... Don't they, like, sword fight almost with motorcycles? Like, they're just yeah, fucking... Yeah, they, like, joust with motorcycles. <laughs> it's so good, dude. Like, I, um, I just love it. Like, there's something about it. Like, even though it doesn't feel like it has any part of the franchise in it, like, it just... It doesn't feel all like the first movie, the third movie, the later movies. It doesn't feel like it has any resemblance to any of those and yet it just works because of the year it came out um (laughs) and the ripe year of 2000 like this was the perfect time for this movie to come out and i mean you said what it was 96 that the first one came out Mm -hmm. i'm wondering why it took so long to get a sequel made for that one because like that was a big success back in 96 so yeah yeah, it made 457 million the original one the second one did make over 500 even though it did get really negative critical reception at the time 500 million and 2000 is still excellent and i mean i'm not gonna go to three right away but it's just interesting that this movie might have been so damaging even though it was Mm -hmm. successful they had to wait six years to do a sequel to two um i mean joey do you want to tell us what you think of mission impossible 2 um, I don't really like it. I think it's, um, I, you know, I think the movie's trying to say that Ethan Hunt was wrong. That's really what I think they're Shut trying up. to go for. <laughs> no, um, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I really like that, because all of the other movies, even though they do feel different, they still feel like they're in the same franchise, but this one feels like a completely different movie. So I really like that there's just this kind of weird black sheep to the series. Um, And I think I do like kind of, the more ridiculous the sequences get. And I mean, the scene with the knife is always really just, just suspenseful to watch. And I, I do, like, like he, like Hunter said, John Woo really does go for it, but I just don't, it, a lot of this movie just really doesn't work for me, but uh, it's, I don't, I don't think it's terrible. I think it's definitely uh, got its uh, strong suits. 
Um, but I, I'm not really jonesing to watch this one again anytime soon. <laughs> I, the most egregious thing is the way that Tandy Newton is treated in this film. Tandy <laughs> Newton, an incredible actress, and it's just... <laughs> John was like, now, Tom, I need you to lay on top of her in a bathtub while you're hiding together. And that's so, like, that entire sequence, I think, kind of sums up my thoughts on, like, what I said earlier about how this Ethan Hunt feels nothing like the Ethan Hunt we were introduced to in the first movie. Like, the Ethan Hunt from the first movie was, like, this really professional guy who, you know, he would make jokes with his team, but he would never jeopardize a mission or, like, flirt with his other teammates or, like... Like, he would never do what he does in this movie, you know? Mm-hmm. And not to say characters can't evolve, but, like, it just feels so out of character in this movie. Like, the way he just acts around Fanny Newton's character. Like, he's so overly flirty that... Mm-hmm. And again, I get it's a John Woo movie. I understand that. I know. Like, that's this is every John Woo movie. But it just... And again, I really, really like this movie, but that's something that always irks me, is that it just doesn't feel like Ethan Hunt. Well, it I feels- mean, that's... That's kind of the thing with these early Mission Impossible movies is that they're trying to figure out who Ethan Hunt is. Like the first mm-hmm. movie, there it's like, all right, we're full espionage. Then John Woo comes in, it's just like, all right, it's full crazy balls to the wall action that fits more into a Fast and Furious film than it does anything else. And they don't really know what to do with Ethan because they're like, all right, well, he's not James Bond. Mm-hmm. But he is still like this tech savvy guy, but also he can do crazy stunts and they don't really they aren't really able to find their footing until a few films in. Yeah, I mean that I mean, I guess to transition to Mission Impossible Three, maybe like Mission Impossible Three, I feel like while not a perfect movie, it finds the balance of one and two kinda perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, where it has pretty crazy action, not as crazy as John Woo's action, but <laughs> it um it has the, the the scope that you'd expect from a Mission Impossible movie. It has the espionage feel of the first movie, but it really, I mean, again, it feels nothing like the Ethan Hunt from Mission Impossible 2, the one that was flirting and a ladies' man and like everything. <laughs> and then you jump to Mission Impossible 3, and he's totally domesticated. He has a wife. He's happy. He doesn't want to be a spy anymore he's completely content with like training people because he doesn't want to be that guy anymore. He just wants to train other people to be those guys, you know? And I think this movie, um, our friend, a friend of the pot, Harry Sayer really tore this movie up. Hunter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> he, he just watched through the mission impossible movies for the first time. And this was his least favorite one, which is shocking to me. Yeah, when he was texting our group chat, um, like, his slander of this movie, I was just like, I do not understand you. Like, I'm like, this movie, again, not flawless by any means, but I love it. Like, it's it's so good. Um, Hunter, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, I, I also really love this movie. Uh, one of uh, Harry's main knocks against this movie is that it is a very um iraq war film (laughs) and that is definitely true about this movie it's very of its time and that is 2006 right in the middle of uh kind of bush america feelings around everything that was happening so it's just like trying to take all these things i like that this movie um that jj and i can't i'm trying to look up who uh wrote this one i can't find uh who the writer is i'm trying to scroll on imdb right now but um, um that see. oh it's a it's a few different people um oh, but, jj rooms alex kurtzman yeah 
yeah. Um, but that's they don't even try to uh, say what the MacGuffin is because all these movies have some kind of a deus ex machina. <laughs> and they're just like, it's the rabbit's foot. It's uh, something. It'll do something bad. We better stop it from happening. We don't know what it's going to do, but it's bad. Yeah, and I actually kind of enjoy that like little trope at the end where he like you don't even find out what it is by the end. Like you mm-hmm. just you just in the movie where he's like he has a question about it, and Lawrence Fishburne's like, yeah, well you have to come back. He's like, okay, well I guess I won't find out. Like I, I kind of dig that. Like if okay, so if it's like an obvious MacGuffin where they overexplain it, I hate MacGuffins in that sense, right? But like because Rise of Skywalker is like the worst example of that where they just mm-hmm. overexplain MacGuffin until your ears bleed. But shout out to JJ. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even piece that together until I, until you said that. Um, but Mission Impossible Three goes the completely opposite route, where you know what it's called, you know what it is, but it doesn't matter because the movie is so character driven. Um, I would say easily the most character driven of the first three movies, like by a long shot. Um, because I I, I kind of told this to Harry when I was trying to defend the movie that I think my favorite part of this movie is just definitely seeing him with a wife and having that internal struggle of wanting to have a normal life and have a love life, um, but also try to do his job. And that's no stranger to the spy franchise. That is a trope found even before James Bond, you know, pretty much in any spy movie you ever watch. That's Mm -hmm. a trope. But I think this one does it really well because the chemistry between uh, Michelle Monaghan and Tom Cruise is actually really genuine. And I love the movie for that. Um, Joey, what are your thoughts on Mission Impossible 3? I really like this one a lot. As a kid, I thought this was like the coolest shit I'd ever seen. It was just like Tom Cruise was running and there was explosions and Philip Seymour Hoffman was in it. So I was just like, this is my shit. And I, there's, a, there's a sequence near the end where they're kind of playing a game of cat and mouse between these buildings with Michelle Monaghan and Tom Cruise and Philip Seymour Hoffman that I always really liked as a kid. And I think, um, I, I really kind of echo what you said. I think the the romance element of the story, kind of Tom's relationship with Michelle Monaghan's character is, is, is super, super investing. And I think even more so in the later films, that becomes kind of one of the better, one of my more, the elements that are, are uh, that always surprises me how invested I get into it. And I think, J.J. Abrams gives kind of the it's like he kind of he kind of comes in and gives it like a jolt of electricity and then sends it on sends it sends it on its way and I think I I really do I I think it's a good one I I don't I couldn't I, I can't imagine it being your least favorite one because I think it's much better than two but I um I I really like it a lot I think it's I don't think it's the best one in the series but I still think it's definitely worth watching and I think we also have to appreciate um you brought up Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. holy shit so good yeah. <laughs> so is, amazing is your favorite villain in the mission impossible franchise or is it solomon lane um henry cavill uh i was gonna say yeah henry cavill is mine yeah yeah i mean how about you hunter i so i kind of flip-flop between uh philip seymour hoffman and just solomon lane it's almost a cheat do lane because he has a two movie arc but Philip Seymour Hoffman, in the limited screen time that he has, and at playing uh, Tom Cruise while being Philip Seymour Hoffman, is mm-hmm. so good and so underrated in this movie. Um, but I, I, I just, I can't. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman is like one of the greatest actors to ever live. Mm-hmm. R.I.P. Philip Seymour. But another thing that's key that you guys brought up about this movie is the emotional 
uh, the whole emotional element, which is something that was completely absent from the first two films. And I think that Mission Impossible movies, from this point going forward, they have three main things that they kind of focus on. It's the big stunts, the big giant set pieces where Tom Cruise just does something crazy. The tech stuff, uh, which is more the James Bond kind of side of things, and the emotional elements. And I feel like you could, as much as I really enjoy the first movie and even a little bit the second one, I think that if you wanted an introduction uh, to this franchise and kind of to some overlying narrative arc, Mission Impossible 3 is a good starting point. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was my mom's first one because I don't I don't think she ever went back to the first two. Um, and I just showed it to her one day. I was curious how she would respond to it. And I think she yeah, continued the series without ever going back. She just went from three forward. And it, it really does serve as a reboot. Like, it, I think that's J.J. Abrams' bread and butter, really, is uh, either completely starting something from scratch or starting something like rebooting it, where it's completely like his own thing and a starting point for other directors to do it. Um, so I'm glad he, Brad Bird didn't piss him off. He didn't come back for, uh, for five. <laughs> um, so like, I don't know, like I, I just love this one a lot. And like the opening scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman is just, it, it, it's so investing every time. Like no matter how many times you've seen this movie, when the opening scene starts, I like put my phone down and I <laughs> just like zone in. Cause it's like, you just see Philip Seymour Hoffman, like at the top of his game. And, you know, he could have phoned this performance in. He's Philip Seymour Hoffman. He just probably could have got the paycheck, right? No, he's Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's going to own every scene he's in. And he does incredible in this movie. And you brought up the scene, Hunter, where he has to play Tom Cruise playing him. And that's one of my favorite bits of the entire movie. It is just layers to his performance that are so impressive. Um, Just completely show how amazing of an actor he was. And yet he completely defines the character and he doesn't have as much screen time as like the villains from the other two, but like he makes more of a mark with the screen time that he has. And that's what makes him so terrifying and threatening, you know? Oh, he's so, he's so like terrifying and unnerving and like every one of his scenes where he's just like, I'm going to hurt her. You're like, oh my God, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like I'm not, he doesn't, he never played enough like, truly like diabolical people yeah. in his time because he did it. I wanted to see more roles like this from him. Well, me and uh, Joey are in like this Facebook group with our friends where we talk about movies and someone asked like a few weeks ago, like what roles do you think Philip Seymour Hoffman or like what famous movies that have come out since his death do you think he would have been in? And someone said uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been Thanos. Oh. And <laughs> <laughs> i was like yeah dude like that <laughs> i mean josh brolin killed it don't get me wrong but dude if philip seymour hoffman got his hands on thanos i i don't even like, i can't even describe how i feel that would be so great because it would make all the memes just so much funnier because it's just you see this big purple philip seymour hoffman that makes that breaks my heart that we'll never get to see that adam yeah, I know. I mean, he um he was one of my favorite actors of all time, I think, like many of us. And I think he's I just, definitely one of the best actors of all time. I think he's he, he's absolutely remarkable. You know, pretty much through quarantine, and not to go into a whole Philip Seymour Hoffman 
route. But mm-hmm. I, I've gone through the works of both him and uh, James Gandolfini, where I just I miss them more and more each day. The more performances I watch from them, because they're both so talented. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie. I mean, it's funny what you said, Hunter. Like when he uh, talks about like how much he's gonna hurt her. And he says that throughout the film, and Ethan Hunt doesn't believe him. But you, as an audience member, know <laughs> that he means it because of the opening scene. So every time that Ethan like has a sarcastic comment to him when he says that, or he just doesn't you know, take notice to it, you just cringe because you're like, no, dude, take this seriously. He's going to get her. Like, it, it, it just gets under your skin so well. And you know what? I almost think other – I struggle between this and Force Awakens – but I think this might be J.J. Abrams' best movie. Like, do you guys agree? Um, I think I'd have to rewatch. For, I haven't seen Force Awakens since I, I've seen the. I've seen this one. I need to. Re, I need to rewatch Force Awakens to really think about that. I think they're both pretty. No, I think. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that one, Adam. I got to think about that one. <laughs> How about you, Under? Yeah, I don't know. Actually, I'd never thought about that before. But yeah, I don't really think about J.J. Abrams as like a film director you know he's more of a, just a guy who <laughs> just does I, things <laughs> i've soured so much on jj uh post um rise of skywalker <laughs> that i haven't even had any desire to revisit the force awakens because i'm just like kind of hard out on jj until he proves me otherwise mm-hmm. um yeah you might be right i really love super eight even though it's not anywhere close to a perfect movie but yeah I, yeah it, mm. Mission Impossible 3 is definitely the one that I go back to the most, but uh, The Force Awakens was also, like, one of the best theatrical experiences I've ever had, Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, like, I I mean, I love The Force Awakens, but I'm curious to see how it holds up, you know, post-Rise of Skywalker, because... um, Um, I'm sure it'll make no sense, just, I kind of, he ruined The Last Jedi, a movie that I deeply, deeply adore, so... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, we we had an entire episode about, uh, I think with Fernando, we we mm-hmm. had an episode about just defending The Last Jedi, basically. And Last like, Jedi, best Star Wars movie. Yep. yep. I, uh, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, but I don't know. I think this might be his best movie just because I think more than any of his other movies, he has such a good handle on the characters and he doesn't. I, I feel like so many of his other movies, even The Force Awakens, go to that mystery box route where you do so much setup but no emotional payoff, right? And Force Awakens definitely has emotional payoff. But Mission Impossible 3, like, it's a complete movie. Like, if this was your only Mission Impossible movie and, like, beginning to end, this is a full story. Like, you could just watch this outside the franchise and get completely satisfied with it. Because you watch the story of, like, a guy who is contemplating the life of being a spy and chooses love at the end, right? So, I, I don't know. There's something about it that I just always go back to, and I love it. Um, which, I, I gotta say, even though we love this movie, it's kind of weird that, you know, just, like, between one and two and two and three, even though this movie made a ton of money, they waited in another five years to <laughs> do a sequel, which, I mean, Hunter, do you know anything about that? Why they took so long in between movies? So I think that for, I know for a lot of them, it's because, one, I mean, it is a Paramount property. Uh, Paramount, of all, like, the major studios left in Hollywood, 
they are probably the one with the least amount. I mean, this is probably the biggest thing that Paramount owns at this point, as far as IP goes. Mm-hmm. Um, that isn't like classic stuff. But I think that I I could be wrong, but I do remember whenever Ghost Protocol was announced, it being a big surprise that they were coming back for Mission Impossible because this is this does feel like such kind of a conclusion to the Ethan Hunt character. And I think that that's why this one specifically took five years was I, maybe Tom Cruise was trying. I mean, at this point, it was still 2006. Like Tom Cruise had kind of left behind his days of trying to pursue Academy Awards, but maybe he was still trying to go back to being like the quote unquote uh, like Oscar movie star instead of the action movie star. So I'm not yeah. sure about this one. Yeah, because I'm looking um, – I mean, I'm just going through memory right here. But, like, in between, like, 2006, 2011, he didn't do much at all. Like, he, he went Tropic Thunder, which is an amazing performance, mm-hmm. um, and Valkyrie. Uh, and I think he shot Night and Day and Ghost Protocol around the same time. But So you have two comedies and one kind of comedy – I don't know, like, uh, or not comedy, uh, drama. Like, it's kind, of, it's a Brian Singer movie, so it wasn't that great. But mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, oh, and Lions for Lambs, which I've never seen. But it's really interesting that he like kind of took like, a five-year break and then just came back to Mission Impossible. And I, I would say this is the one that defined the franchise. I don't think it's necessarily the number one best, but it set them down for the course that I don't think they're ever going to break again. Because... You know what? You know what I think. Uh, I'm now looking through Tom Cruise and kind of it's jotting my memory. You know what I think? Why he took a break from movies for a little while is because the Oprah Couch incident happened in 2005, mm. Mm. and at that point, uh, people were like, "Tom Cruise has completely gone insane, and uh, maybe we should give him time." And that's why Tropic Thunder was such a big deal because it was like, "Tom Cruise is back." Yeah, and. It's funny to like look at his resume after Ghost Protocol because after Ghost Protocol, it's been nonstop cruise. Like people talk about how The Rock makes like nonstop movies, and while he makes more than Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise still does it yearly. Like, um, well, Top Gun was supposed to come out last year, and then this year, and now next year. But you know, before like COVID and everything, he had Fallout 2018, American Made in 2017. And the mummy, which we don't want to talk about. Then the Jack Reachers, Edge mm-hmm. of Tomorrow's, Oblivions. Like it seems like immediately after Ghost Protocol, he went back to the franchise mindset. And I'll say this: I think it was the right move because it really feels like home for him, and it feels like the only place that he can be completely innovative with his artistry. Um, and that is completely defined, I think, in one single scene in this movie, which is the Dubai sequence. Uh, that completely just epitomizes how batshit insane this man is when it comes to stunts. Um, no matter how many times I watch this movie, the Dubai sequence always makes me like just I, like you know he's gonna make it because you've seen the movie before. But something about it, like the way it's shot, the way it's just the intensity of it all just gets under my skin and I feel like nauseous every time I watch the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, Joey, what are your thoughts on ghost protocol? Ghost protocol was the first one 
I saw in movie theaters, and this is the one that made me fall in love with with good old Ethan Hunt. This movie is uh, pretty banging. I uh, I think Brad Bird does such an amazing job here, and I mean that that I mean the Dubai sequence is just one of the best action sequences of all time. It's so gosh darn stressful, and it, it's like still like they've done so much more with the franchise since, but it's still the one that like it's I think it might. The, the Burj Khalif sequence might be their best uh, action sequence that they've ever done. Uh, uh, Fallout comes close to rivaling it at points, and so I think there's some really great sequences in um, the next film. But I think this this one's just such a this is just such an iconic sequence. It's just this is the action scene to beat, you know. How about you, Hunter? Uh, I I agree completely with everything that you just said. I think that mm-hmm. this. While this isn't my favorite film of the franchise, I think the Dubai, the extended sequence there is the best sequence that they've ever come up with in the franchise. From everything to kind of playing with the classic tropes of, I mean, this also is the movie that really puts Simon Pegg in the full fold since he's introduced in three, but doesn't really have much to do there. But everything from not being able to wear a mask that he wants to wear the mask and then Tom Cruise climbing the building seeing the sandstorm off in the distance leading into the motorcycle chase, it is just flawless. It is absolute perfection, that sequence right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also the scene where he, or the part of that scene where he has to take off the glove because he doesn't think it's going to stick anymore, and then it flies upwards and sticks on the glass, and he passes by it while he's climbing. And it's there's just so many like great set pieces in this movie, but also like a really good sense of humor and earnest like nature in the emotion too like it's a little more understated with the emotion than three is but it also like is at the end when he sees uh his ex-wife um at the uh like i don't know she's at a bar or restaurant at the end it's so nice to see her you know like <laughs> it's just like it, there's no dialogue she doesn't have one line uh but like the way just they nod at each other and they have like a small moment of just mm-hmm. like glimpsing at each other and making like she knows he's okay he knows she's okay and also the relief with Jim, jeremy renner's character who has like this big character arc in the movie where he thinks he's responsible for her death and then finding out he, she's fine is like the nicest thing in the world um mm-hmm. and i just love this movie from start to finish like um did you guys see this in imax by any chance uh, I just saw it in regular format because I was a, a, a young fool. <laughs> How about you, Hunter? I, I vividly remember seeing this in IMAX, like, and it was just incredible. Like, it was one of those things where, because I remember the marketing for it. At this point, I was, like, in high school, so I was still, like, reading up on different, like, blogs and stuff like that. And people were like, Tom Cruise climbs the tallest building in the world. And I was like, yeah, but he doesn't really climb the tallest building in the world. Like, well, we'll see. And then seeing <laughs> actually do that on the biggest screen, like my jaw was just completely dropped the entire time. I could not believe anything that I was seeing. I, I mean, you brought up too, Adam, that one thing that uh, works really well, that works well for the series going forward is the big introduction of humor to the franchise. And like the, series now realizing like it's okay to laugh at ourselves and i think that's kind of the brad bird effect coming in because of course brad bird is a genius of comedy as well as just storytelling but i think and it was great to have simon Pegg also infused in there uh to give it some more of that humor but i think tom cruise even like 
gained a little bit more self-awareness in this downtime of five years that he can kind of do the I'm too old for this shit kind of shit <laughs> a bit more over the next few movies, and it works really well for the franchise. Yeah, I mean, I saw this in IMAX at, um, if you're in Orlando, the Regal Point Orlando screen. Massive. Mm-hmm. It's like you, no matter if where you've set at the very top, eyesight. And I think the reason why I cannot watch that Dubai sequence without cringing is because I always associate it with the first time I saw this movie, and I like legitimately thought I was gonna fall out of my seat, like when they were like hovering over uh, the building, because it is just so amazingly shot. I contend it's the best IMAX movie I've ever seen in my life, like better than Avatar, even better than Fallout, I think, because this movie just did such a beautiful job at like using IMAX cameras to its full advantage, I think. Um, but yeah, I think the entire movie top to bottom, while it's not my favorite mission movie, it is, it's definitely one of the best. Like mm-hmm. it completely sets the tone for uh, the next two movies. And what I'm pretty sure the uh, last two movies are going to be. And it just understands the character so well. Like um, I was listening to the DVD commentary uh, or Blu-ray commentary for Fallout. And Macquarie, or no, um, Tom Cruise to Macquarie was saying, like, the best thing about this franchise is that you can enter any of them and know that you're going to get a beginning and end and you're going to be satisfied. It's just a mission movie, whether you're going in for a part five to that franchise or you're going in for a one time, you know, go, you know what you're getting, but you always do something different each time. And I think that's the great thing about Ghost Protocol. Like, it's completely self-contained. But it works so well in the larger franchise, unlike, you know, say, two, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, any final thoughts on Ghost Protocol? Um, yeah, this one, it's a real banging film, uh, and Tom Cruise is so cute with long hair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, we skipped right past Tom Cruise with long hair in Mission Possible 2. Probably <laughs> the worst film of the franchise, but the best Tom Cruise hair. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I think... Because he does have noticeably different hair in every movie. I gotta say, I think five. At points, and you're just like, just cut your bangs, dude. Like, that's all you have to do. Like, just do it. Um, one also, other thing I would say about Ghost Protocol, I think that's one thing that we, we've now been talking for almost an hour. We haven't brought up the only other constant in the franchise, which is Ving Rhames. And Ving yeah. Rhames isn't really in this movie until the very last five minutes. And replacing Ving Rhames with Jeremy Renner is a noticeable downgrade, I would say, <laughs> especially in these movies. Just in general, I would rather have Ving Rhames in my movie than Jeremy Renner. But I I think that you kind of need his very um, stern, but like just very put together figure as opposed to Ethan, who is just totally chaotic. And those energies to kind of bounce off each other a little bit more. And that is one thing this movie is missing. Yeah, I mean, I was literally just going to say that right before you brought up Ving Rhames, because like um, I think Ving Rhames... Uh, he's amazing in the first movie, and he's kind of in the second movie, like not as much as the first 
or um and then the third one i love him in he, he's so good in the third one mm-hmm. um yeah you're right this one he has like literally one scene and it's so nice to see him i, re- I literally clapped in the theater when he popped mm-hmm. up in that one um but i'll also say like if you guys remember this jeremy renner he was only in this movie because he was supposed to take over the franchise for mission or from uh, tom cruise like total what a what a big downgrade even though tom cruise <laughs> is insane well is and he, i like jeremy renner i think he's a good actor i think he's kind of a a, a a a knucklehead in real life sometimes but i think he's a talented actor but what a they tried to make him born and it didn't work out either so then they i was he's just not the action star we want you know it's like when i remember when they tried to make like sam worthington a thing yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think he's better than Sam Worthington. I think he's better but... than Sam Worthington, but... <laughs> well, I, yeah. think, I think Jeremy Renner, the thing with him is that he is great as, like, the fifth guy in your movie. But you don't mm-hmm. want him being the star of the show. It's just, it's kind of crazy to me that Jeremy Renner was supposed to take over two different franchises in two years between Mission Impossible and Jason Bourne that came out uh, 2012, a year after this one, and both of them like just completely fell apart because he just wasn't wasn't quite up to the task. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is, like whenever Jeremy Renner does like an Instagram live or like a ask the like a fans ask the questions on Twitter, like every time someone asks about Born, he's still like eight years later, he's saying like, yeah, we're planning on doing another one. Like <laughs> we're, we're still gonna do it. Not gonna happen, Jeremy. <laughs> just go I mean, back to flipping houses, okay? Like you're really good at that. Go back to developing apps. Because I, I miss the runner app. <laughs> Don't we all miss the runner app? <laughs> so, so thirsty on Jeremy Renner's app. I gotta say, though, one of my best, I want to say, drunk memories of my life was last, yeah, it was last year's Halloween party at Ernest's house, Hunter, when it was me, you, Hunter, Drew, and, uh, Oh god, like I think there's some other people there too and we were watching the Arctic Dogs Jeremy Renner music video on the projector and I just remember like sitting there like how is this a real movie and how is this Jeremy Renner's real voice that I'm hearing right now? Hey, do, if you want to know about uh Arctic Dogs, We Bought a Mike is planning on doing a full uh commentary break <laughs> Arctic Dogs coming soon. So just stay tuned for that. I will tell you, I, I'll describe the movie for you so you never have to sit through it. I'm willing to take that on. Please do. Like, I, I'll listen to that episode just uh, because I, I remember um, Drew completely deteriorating when we did the Rampage commentary. So I'm curious how you guys will fare when it comes to Arctic Dogs of all hmm. movies. We might die. We might not make it. <laughs> we might kill each other, but like break the, break the television. Who knows what will happen? <laughs> well... Speaking of Jeremy Renner, even though he didn't take over the franchise from Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible 4, he returns in Mission Impossible 5 with a significantly less role, um, which I think this movie has a perfect understanding of like the balance you need with Jeremy Renner, where, I mean, uh, you said it perfectly, like he's not supposed to be your main player. He's supposed to be like your fifth player. And mm-hmm. Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg both completely overshadow him in this movie. And, you know, not to dunk on Jeremy Renner, but, like, it's so nice to see these side characters from the other movies completely get in the limelight in this movie. Because mm-hmm. Yeah, I, Simon I like, Pegg's a gosh darn movie star in this movie. And so's uh, Ving Rhames. Yeah. <laughs> kills it in this movie. Like, he's awesome. Like, I think one of my favorite scenes is, like, when uh, 
Ving Rhames tells Jeremy Renner, like, if I have any doubt for one second what side you're on, hmm. Like, he just gives him a look. And you, and Jeremy Renner knows immediately. He's like, okay, like, he'll fucking kill me. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, I love Ving Rhames so much in this franchise. Um, Hunter, what are your thoughts on Rogue Nation? It's, it's funny. So, I mean, I've always really enjoyed this movie, but it took probably my second or third watch for me to like truly appreciate how great this movie is because it's so much more quiet than ghost protocol. Mm -hmm. I think that I was like, all right, I'm expecting what's going to be the next insane high, high octane set piece that we're going to get. And we get like the opera scene and it's not that I didn't like love those sequences or anything, but I was like, ah, this isn't hitting quite the same way. And really it was probably after like this movie came out in 2015, probably wasn't until like 2017 after I had watched this a couple times, I really appreciated what uh, Chris McQuarrie did with this movie and how I, I talked about how this series is composed of like the three elements. And he really just kind of went all in with setting up kind of emotional arcs for his characters and giving adding some more emotional dynamism to the Ethan Hunt character. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is through like the lens of Elsa Faust, played by Rebecca Ferguson, mm-hmm. who um, really reflects on, you know, if Michelle Monaghan's character kind of reflected on what his idealism is, Ethan Hunt, um, Elsa Faust is a complete reflection of who Ethan really is at the end of the day. Like, she completely understands him on a deep level, which is this guy who wants an intimate relationship with people, but, like, he can't deny who he is. He's Ethan Hunt. Like, even at the beginning of this movie, like, there's no other movies in the franchise where um, people recognize him. But at the beginning of this movie, the girl who works at the record shop, the spy, she's like, I've heard stories about you. Like, you're the Ethan Hunt. And it's cool that, like, stories are spreading about him. He's, like, Mm -hmm. a hero to people. And... I, there's just something about this movie where while I think Ghost Protocol definitely set the tone for like this Ethan Hunt and like um, kind of setting the standard for who Ethan Hunt is moving forward, um, this movie just digs deeper into that and I think completely perfectly shows his humanity and his love for his friends and his team. Um, I adore this movie. Um, the first time I saw it, I it was, the opera sequence you brought up, Hunter, is absolutely incredible cinematography um just the setting of it just like the production design in general is incredible but the scene that got me the most when i saw this movie was when i saw it in theaters i was like literally clenching the armrest so hard my drink fell over (laughs) was during the motorcycle scene oh my god dude that scene is nuts (laughs) (laughs) i remember when he like he like turns left and goes all the way to the ground and then he almost hits a truck and then flips back up just in time i almost screamed in the theater (laughs) because i was so into that scene it's it's incredible um joey what are your thoughts on rogue nation um i think rogue nation is uh i would consider it underrated i feel like when people talk about the mission impossible films they kind of leave this one out of the discussion because this movie is essentially it's it's a pretty perfect action film in a lot of ways it's just 
it's super fun. It's super engaging. The action is incredible. Um, there's really great uh, filmmaking here, and I think it's it's Rebecca Ferguson's character. I think is such a great addition to the film series, and she just adds so much kind of weight, and really she helps kind of uh, I think even further establish who Ethan is as a character. And I just I think the only problem with this movie is that it's not as good as the next one. But I th- I think this is like a top to bottom just flat out banger of a film, and I think um. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie did. He's such a, is such. A, he's he's the David Yates of the franchise. I'm like, this is the guy. Like, he can do the rest of it. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, um, Hunter, you brought up uh, Solomon Lane earlier. Uh, do you want to tell us like why he's your favorite villain? Um, well, for one, I think he has. I know I love the cold open in Mission Impossible Three, but how this film opens up and how it twists the classic um, your mission if you choose to accept it or not, where it's him in the record store and it's just like we are the syndicate. And then you just kind of see him pop up. I I really love him in this movie and in uh, Fallout because there's a real consistency to his character over those two movies. But I like him because he is really the anti-Ethan. Like there is so much about him where he is – I mean, he does very athletically gifted as well, but it's mostly it's all in the smarts and everything. And they kind of fleshed out him as a villain more than they do really any other villain where they aren't quite asking you to ever sympathize with him as a villain. But they are giving you enough there to kind of understand what his perspective is on why they have to destroy everything in order to create a new order. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like I mentioned it a little bit earlier where it's like this movie like really digs into like how much Ethan cares about his team and how he doesn't look at them as just like exposable, disposable, like um, expendable people. Like he looks at them as family Almost like Dominic Toretto. Um, and <laughs> there we go. I was waiting. I was waiting for the fast mm-hmm. reference. I wasn't disappointed. <laughs> um, but he really does. He cares about them, like truly. And I think that's the great thing about Solomon Lane is that he is completely, like you said, Hunter. He is the opposite of Ethan Hunt. He's the anti-Ethan Hunt. He is the guy who doesn't care about the people. He uses them as puppets. Like, he uses them as just expendable people that it doesn't matter if they live or die. If he gets what he wants from them just one time, he's completely content with killing them. And he he's an amazing villain. Um, I think he's very underrated. Like, no one ever brings him up when talking about great villains, which I think is um, a crime. Because Sean Harris, by the way, mm-hmm. amazing actor. Yeah. Um, and he gives a great performance to Solomon Lane. And I think another thing about this movie is that the, like cat and mouse element of it is like really fun like just how they're like okay we can't like physically beat him so we have to like outsmart him Hmm. and it's so cool when they go about that i mean joey what do you think about that um yeah i think i think sean harris does an excellent job as solomon lane i think it's a really again i think this is in the way that you said that you think three kind of sets the the tone of the series i hope that all of the the movies are kind of like just if they make just kind of different variations of this movie i'll be completely fine with it because they just kind of really perfected what uh, mission impossible is supposed to be and i think you know solomon lane yeah is i think it's i think he's 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 an excellent villain and i i wouldn't i i, I there's one i prefer in the later film but i again no, that's like kind of going back to my original critique where it's the only thing that's bad about this movie is that it's not as good as the next one but i i i think 
You know, Sean Harris is he could do anything. He could shit in a box and I'd be like ten out of ten. <laughs> I did also want to say I I feel like I might have been a little bit too negative uh, towards the stunt work in this film, uh, just because it, there isn't something that quite grabs your eye like the IMAX sequence of climbing the tower in Dubai. But uh, Tom Cruise does hang off of an airplane in this mm-hmm. film, and then he Tom Cruise himself trained himself to hold his breath for six minutes in order to do the underwater sequence. Yeah, I was just going to go back to you on that one, because like I, you were talking about it last night in the group chat, and I was just like, yeah, I forgot that he... Because, you know, some of it's obviously CGI, like some of it. Like the whole thing, like uh, the machine, like in the middle of the tank yeah. or whatever. Mm. But I forget every time I watch it that, no, he is the, underwater, though. Like he <laughs> he is. And of course he is, because it's Tom Cruise. Like, mm-hmm. And also, going back to what you said about the plane, what a banger of an opening. Like, immediately you um because you know you see the posters and like the trailer for this movie and you assume that's the final set piece no it's the opening sequence (laughs) like before the title credits like even roll like it's that's the opening that's what you that's your appetizer for the rest of the movie um i had uh, some of my friends like have a critique about this movie where they think it kind of like blows its load a little bit early like where it's like uh you know you have the motorcycle chase and the underwater chase the airplane thing but the third act isn't quite as mm. massive or intense as the earlier parts of the movie but i push back against that because i think the cat and mouse stuff is just so cool mm-hmm. and the entire thing with like benji being struck t- to a bomb is like so tense yeah and you care so much about him that it works even better than a set piece you know I 100% agree. I, uh, I I very much disagree with that critique. I think this movie is super, super... I think there's other action movies that I definitely do think blow their load a little too early. Um, <coughs> Fast and Furious 7. Fuck you. <laughs> Anyways. I, I, that that. <laughs> you do? Um, oh, with that, um, with Fast and Furious 7. I, I it's, a, it's a very good movie, but it does go a little bit too soon. And if I have to hear uh, that one song, like, play seven times throughout the movie again, then... Uh-huh. I don't think I can handle it. Fair enough. Been a long way without you, my friend. <laughs> I don't agree with it, but yeah, I we can can't. If we get Adam started about Fast and Furious, this is gonna hit two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, any final thoughts on Rogue Nation, boys? Banging film. This uh, this came out uh, when I when I went to see this movie in theaters. My brother and I got in a big fight because he wanted to see Inside Out again, and I was like, Luke, if I have to see Inside Out over the new Mission Impossible movie, I'll never speak to you again. And we saw it, and he loved it, and he uh, and we we laugh about it to this day. <laughs> well, you already had seen Inside Out. You yeah, he wanted to see again. Inside Out again because he didn't. Li- he was like, I don't like Tom Cruise, and I was like, Watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, so was that his first one? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. What were you saying, Hunter? Oh no, I was just saying that I really I love the the beginning and the ending, the parallels. Uh, just really kind of shows that Christopher McQuarrie, who's a guy who doesn't really have any experience at all as a director, like knows what the hell he's doing. About just kind of the parallel of Tom Cruise in the box filled up with the white smoke, and then Lane in the box with the white smoke. It's it's a little bit on the nose, but I mean for a guy who just doesn't really direct at all this film is just so well done like this is his third movie ever after the way of the gun and jack reacher 
That's right, because I was trying to remember. I know he did Jack Reacher, which I I like Jack Reacher. I think the first one's good. The second one's awful, but the first one's good. Um, I don't think I've ever seen The Way of the Gun, but it's kind of incredible, even though I like Jack Reacher, how much of an upgrade this movie was in terms of quality. Um, and again, not to like, because again, I love uh, Rogue Nation, but holy shit, <laughs> the upgrade that Fallout is, mm-hmm. even from Rogue Nation, is, I I don't even know what to fully say, because I've sat with this movie for about two years, and pretty much every time I watch it, I get more and more convinced it is like top five action movies of all time. Um, it is absolutely astonishing, and I think Christopher McQuarrie should have been nominated for Best Director that year. Um, he absolutely would not have. There's no world where that <laughs> would have happened. But if the world was right, I think that would have happened. Um, I just, I, I, I we'll go into it more, but I, I'll just say it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Joey. I absolutely agree with every word that I just said. I think Mission Impossible Fallout is a masterpiece. It is the best action movie made in like maybe the past decade. I think this movie should have been as celebrated as Mad Max Fury Road was. That's how impressive I think this film is. I really, really love this movie. Christopher McQuarrie definitely deserved to be nominated for Best Director. There's so each sequence in this movie is tops it. It's each sequence tops one another. It's such a and that last act of the movie is one of the I was white knuckling that shit the entire time. It is such a fun movie. It is such a heartfelt movie. I cried watching this movie. That's how into that's how invested into this film I got. I think Mission Impossible Fallout is a masterpiece. I definitely think it's one of the best action movies ever made. It's I'm I'm ex, I'm super hyped for the like the the coming films. Um, I'm super excited to see what they do, but I don't know how they're gonna top this one just because it, it is just such a masterpiece. And I contend this is the best movie of 2018. I get so much shit for it, but uh, I don't give a fuck. It's 10 out of 10, baby. Was it Devin or someone else that was giving you shit on your like? post about it because i remember i remember <laughs> everybody that. everybody in my life gives me shit about it. it's this it's i get shit for moonlight 7 out of 10 and i get shit for saying mission possible is the best movie of 2018 <laughs> well the first one's valid the so first one i deserve the second one completely that. warrant completely true <laughs> what were you saying hunter i was just saying people assume so much about your film stays based on this too yeah <laughs> yeah i mean uh well to be fair uh if you listen to our A24 bracket episode, uh, Joey really showed his uh, true colors with some of those picks. Um, Hunter, what are your thoughts on Mission Impossible Fallout? Uh, you guys kind of stole my uh, a couple of my hot takes about it. I was just going to say that this movie should have been considered on the same caliber as Mad Max Fury Road. That this should have been, in a just world, this film would have been like nominated for Best Picture. At least McQuarrie get some love. I know that the Academy in general doesn't really care about, uh, about action movies, but this is just one of the best action movies ever made. Like just point blank. I, it's funny that I was watching this movie. I was trying to think about like, what is my favorite set piece? And every time that I watch it, it changes because every set piece in this movie is executed completely perfectly this is a movie that gets all three of the main things right, where the stunts are, of course, incredible. We tie up the Michelle Monaghan um, 
her story arc in such a beautiful way while still being able to introduce new characters to the story like Henry Cavill, Henry Cavill and Vanessa Kirby. And it's, it's just, it's flawless. I absolutely adore every single thing about this movie. I hundred percent. I think the, the Michelle Monaghan storyline, I, when she shows up in the movie, it lit, I gasped. I was like, <gasps> when she shows up, it's just, and everything between the two of them is just so, so touching. It's just such a, it's this, it's weird because I uh, fast, I feel like fast and furious definitely has a more like, like has a fan base and i know there's the mission impossible fans but this movie kind of feels like a love letter to the fans in a lot of ways because it does so much right and it just gets these characters so right and all the i just i just really i really i really think this movie is like fucking incredible i I, this is my i don't know any comparable movie that adam has but this is like this is my movie this is it's my it's my sleepover so i picked to pick the movie and we're watching mission (laughs) impossible fallout Um, the only other movies I can think of that are like Joe movies are like Greener Grass <laughs> and uh, La La Land, maybe. Hey, there we go. I'm here for it. All right, La La Land <laughs> got robbed. Don't, don't at me. Uh, La La Land got robbed. Don't at me either. <laughs> well, Joey, you you fell asleep during it. Uh, <laughs> the movie that beat it. So I don't know if you can have a say. Yeah, that. I think the only reason I like La La Land more than Moonlight is I think I was awake the entire time of La La Land. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Love Moonlight. Hey, Moonlight is it's so bright and vibrant and the music is good. It's 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 great. Um, I think that my sleepover movies, it's just like, all right, well, you have two options. We're either watching David Lynch's Eraserhead or we're watching Mission <laughs> Impossible Fallout. So you have- <laughs> That's a perfect movies. comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's like the best double feature I can think of. Um <laughs> Yeah, when you say, like, you can't decide, like, what your favorite set piece is in this movie, I kind of agree, but at the same time, I don't know if anything truly makes me feel the way the bathroom scene makes me feel. Oh, man. Which... That's such a boner of a scene. What a good scene. (laughs) Dude, I... The way they, like, synchronize the punches with, like, just, like, everything and, like... The way fucking Henry Cavill, like, reloads his arms. Oh my god, that's it's so guy. fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and even, like, just throwing each other through mirrors and bathroom doors and, like... I mean, it doesn't overstay its welcome, but it plays just long enough to where it's not a brief set piece, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, and there's no score during it. It's completely silent. Like, it's just the punches. That's all you hear. Um, and I just think it's an astonishing accomplishment yeah. in, like, fight choreography and mm-hmm. stunts. And, like, it's just... And it's so gritty, too. That's what I love about it. Like, it's so, you know, white-knuckle. Like, just, like... You just feel, like, every punch that's thrown. And, like, the reveal of when Ilsa, like, shoots him. I gasped. Because, like, mm-hmm. the gunshot is so... Because I saw... I didn't see it in IMAX. I saw it in the... Uh, Dolby AMC theater and the gunshot when it also shoots him in the face is so loud mm-hmm. that I like jumped in my seat mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like it got me more than most horror movies I can't um, Adam did I see this screener with you on like the Monday before it came out I knew that I saw it like uh, a few days early but oh, I can't remember if you went to that screener or not no I remember because the screening was at Waterford I went to the screening, so we were uh, we were in the same room, Hunter. Oh, look at that. Hey, we were there together. We, we could have held hands. I don't know if you remember, but 
One of the great things about the screen, because the whole thing came out about Tom Cruise, about how he broke his ankle at that one point. And I remember whenever Tom Cruise does the rooftop run in London, and there's that moment where you see his ankle and his foot kind of turn a wrong way, and there was an audible like, ooh, in the crowd. (laughs) That happened. Yeah, I mean, and that entire chase sequence is fucking amazing, too. Mm -hmm. Like, just the, the fact that he, how old is he, like 56, 57? He's like, now 58 years old. Fuck. God damn. <laughs> He's taken some of that some of that uh, um, Scientologist juice. It just makes you eternal. That's the thing about Tom Cruise is that if he was not a Scientologist, he would be like top 10 people ever in history. He is just one of the coolest. One of, I hear he's very nice in real life. If he wasn't in a creepy, weird cult that was very dangerous, he'd be, like, one of the best dudes ever. Well, friend of the pod, Shaq, that was on the uh, pod two weeks ago for Fast and Furious, he met Tom Cruise and really? said... Yeah, he, um, if you're on his Facebook, one of his profile pictures for, like, three years was just him and Tom Cruise because he, like, couldn't get over the fact that he met him. Um, I think he was there at TIFF, but I can't remember what he was there for. Um, American-made. Maybe. Um, but yeah, like, I, I don't know, like, I've only heard the nicest things about him, and it does talk about Scientology, but oh, I was looking on Letterboxd the other day, like, movies that he starred in, and all the way at the bottom, like, I was curious, like, what his least watched movie is, and someone put on Letterboxd um, his officiation into Scientology, and you can log it on Letterboxd, <laughs> like, him being officiated into the religion of Scientology, and I'm like, maybe I should, like, watch that so I can say I've seen every Tom Cruise movie on Letterboxd. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, in, like, even if, like, aside from the chase sequence on foot, like, that entire motorcycle, like, car to motorcycle chase in this movie uh, with Ilsa and, um, uh, like, Solomon Lane, like, in the passenger seat is so incredible and so fast paced. And the editing is perfect. And the way, like I said, it jumps from, like, car and then he hops on the motorcycle. It is truly astonishing direction editing mm. just the cinematography in this movie is incredible like um joey off the top of your head do you know the cinematographer's name um i think it's uh, roger deacon no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking it up jamie's looking it up right now yeah jamie can you look it up um i will say though i uh, i have an un- i have a i definitely have a favorite sequence in the film but i know it's not the best sequence in the film but i l- absolutely am head over heels in love it's like the it's that flash forward sequence where they see the um where they where they rob the armed car and like the music is playing over and it's Tom, Tom points the gun. I just think it, it's just such perfect filmmaking in that scene. And I know that like the the gods uh, the, when he jumps out of the airplane and then the, uh, the obviously the amazing helicopter sequence at the end is also just fucking incredible. But I just have always really that that scene that flash forward sequence with the with the uh, violin playing has just always really done it for me. Yeah, and um, so the cinematographer he did. Uh... And by the way, this movie is like the most beautifully shot Mission Impossible movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the guy who did this cinematography for this movie, he did uh, Ex Machina and Annihilation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Rob Hardy. <laughs> He's a big. Oh, sorry, my dog is barking. <laughs> oh, I was like, <laughs> I, I got excited. Um, no, uh, yeah, Rob <laughs> He's excited. a big um, Alex Garland collaborator. But you did bring up the music, and I wanted to talk about uh, Lauren Valve's score, mm-hmm. uh, which is so good. I put it on, like, pretty frequently while I'm working and stuff, or just, like, cleaning around the house. I'm like, I can get everything done in the next 27 minutes if I just put on the Mission Impossible soundtrack. Then I can just vibe right now. 
It's oh, so good. Yeah, I think um, I think each movie, even like the weakest one, which is um, uh, like like probably two. Uh, they all have like a great soundtrack but i think this one probably has the superior soundtrack just because it has like like even the scene like where he's um like i think probably the best use of score in this movie is like when he's running and jumping from building to building and i just remember like the score just swells up the more he runs and then by the point that he reaches him in the elevator it's so loud that it has to go quiet Mm -hmm. when he reveals this uh picture of michelle monaghan's character And that is like the perfect needle drop, like mic drop moment mm-hmm. of the entire movie where it's like, and you, and you're wondering, like, as it's starting, like, you're like, why are we getting like dream sequences of Michelle Monaghan? Cause like, they don't do it like where some movies do it, where you're like, they're like, you know, slyly setting it up. Like, Oh, she's in danger. No, he's like having nightmares about it. And like Solomon Lane, like hints, like your worst nightmares are going to come true. And you don't realize fully what it is until he puts out the picture and then it fully forms together where you just feel the sense of dread that Ethan's feeling where everything he fought to like preserve in his life is now shattering. Like this illusion of safety is completely gone. And I think that's what kind of makes uh, for me, at least Henry Cavill, the best character, like the best villain in the franchise because of how much evil he gets done in this movie. Like he is such a despicable asshole Um, who, I won't lie. I didn't see that twist coming that he was bad. I mean, did you, Hunter? I kind of did. I mean, I saw it as soon as the phone is revealed, for sure, and you see that's not the cracked phone. Oh, yeah. I'm glad that I actively avoided... I saw the very first teaser that came out for this movie, but nothing else, because I did do some looking up of some of the marketing and stuff, and it's pretty clear from like the second and third trailer that like Henry Cavill Henry Cavill is the bad guy, yeah. Which is kind of a bummer that that's just revealed in some of the marketing things. I remember the first trailer got me so so hyped for this movie mm-hmm. just because it's set up in this weird way where you it you just hear voiceover of things that Henry. Uh, Cavill saying about Ethan Hunt and you're like is this the one where like Ethan is going to break bad like what is <laughs> what's happening here like I don't know what this movie is and I, I I kind of did as the movie went along see it breaking bad I think that um I just don't like Henry Cavill I think <laughs> kind of what it comes down to is that I'm not sure that he's a very good actor I think he's really really good in this movie but I've also never seen another performance of his that I've enjoyed. You're not a man from Uncle Stan? I See, here's the thing. I'm a real big BVS guy. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, release the Snyder Cut, uh, the Witcher series. Wait, is that true? Do you like BVS or is that a... No, no, no. Oh, no. I, oh, I didn't <laughs> think so, but I'm like, you got me for a second. I'm like, I was trying to be respectful. I was like... Game over, but... Are you, are you guys big Immortals, the 2011 movie? <laughs> uh, I actually forgot about that. that no. <laughs> I forgot about Immortals. Um, I like Henry Cavill for what he like. I I think he's a pretty good Superman. I like. I don't think he's gotten. The thing about it is like um, he hasn't gotten the time to shine as Superman yet. Um, but I I really think this is his best performance because it completely gives him something to chew on like thematically where you know i love man from uncle but like that movie is just like a guy Ritchie movie you know mm-hmm. 
Um, but this like completely gives him an actual character and like he actually gets a chance to be threatening and like menacing. And he can he does like the best of both worlds in this movie where he he gets to be like a really sinister villain, but for the first half he gets to play up the hero role too. And I, that's why I think this movie just has like the best of both worlds for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll say there's like a few other things I want to bring up. Like the opening scene in this movie is like probably I think it's even better than the Philip Seymour Hoffman cold open in three. Okay. Like the uh, the bait and switch of uh, like you think that the guy <laughs> actually blew up all these places <laughs> and the fucking reveal that no uh simon Pegg is lester holt or not lester holt uh <laughs> wolf blitzer or whatever his name is wolf blitzer, yeah yeah uh which is a great cameo and um that it just happened a few hours ago and then they completely set up this entire <laughs> setting in one night to get information out of him and <laughs> disarm the nukes like it's such a perfect and that scene legitimately shocked me when i saw it in theaters because i was like i did not see that coming like when they said like ethan failed i was like holy shit like (laughs) here we go boys like this is the (laughs) like what a way to start a movie (laughs) and then it just completely pulls the rug out from under you perfectly Mm -hmm. um and then the next thing i wanted to say was uh kind of going to what hunter was saying about how he saw henry cavill's like twist coming um, I think the cool thing about it is that I think even the direct, like Macquarie knows that you know that he's the bad guy. Like in the scene where um, Solomon Lane, or is actually uh, Simon Pegg. Mm-hmm. Um, because they expect you to um, kind of be like, they think that you're not on top of the movie. Um, and that like, that you want, uh, they, they, you don't know that it's Henry Cavill. But you don't know that the team knows it's Henry Cavill at that point, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's perfect because they don't show you the team piecing it together. You just find out that they know after they mm-hmm. pull the route from him. And it's just a perfect bait and switch. Like when he goes to the um, – like when it's revealed that he actually has an upper hand against Michelle Monaghan. Mm-hmm. But it's just back and forth shit. Like between mm-hmm. him killing Alec Baldwin to <laughs> like everything about that sequence is like pitch perfect. It's so um, weird. I watched this earlier today, but you talking about it, I'm like, man, I got to rewatch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like endlessly rewatchable. Well, isn't it? I mean, that kind of goes to what you were saying, Joe, about um, how like this movie is kind of an ode to fans of the Mission Impossible franchise. Like, I'd be curious to know what people who have never seen a Mission Impossible movie before think about it, because this is definitely the most serialized of any of the Mission Impossible movies. Like, they do a little bit of exposition, but they kind of expect you to have some kind of idea of who Solomon Lane is and who mm-hmm. the Michelle Monaghan character is, or else you'll be a little bit kind of confused in those moments. But I, I kind of appreciate that it does take the moment to do that. And to your point about the cold open now, that's like 16 minutes long or something before mm-hmm. we get the title card. Oh, in yeah. In theater, like that was shocking i was like oh my so this is the fallout this is it like they the bombs are already deployed now ethan has to put back the pieces but it it works so so well and sets up kind of the micro growths of the characters in between the films with simon Pegg and ving rames and kind of exploring them figuring out what their positions are on in a really really cool way yeah, I mean, there's 
I, I think probably like two other things I want to say before we go to ranking. And one is I, I brought it up kind of in Rogue Nation where I said that that movie really digs the hole for like who Ethan is as a character. But this one very explicitly tells you about his love for his team, mm-hmm. like through uh, kind of Ving Rhames, like the way he talks. Who Rebecca is excellent Bergen. in this film. He's, this oh. is, I think this is my favorite uh, of his. I think he's great in all of them, but I think he really, really shines in, in this one. He's, so he adds so much heart to the film. And that sequence when it's him and Michelle Monaghan disarming the bomb is just so fun to watch. Yeah, and even like that scene between um, him and Rebecca Ferguson, like a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. like right before they're about to do the whole mission, it's like where he's explaining to uh, her about Ethan's wife. He's like, listen, I've seen him get close to somebody and get hurt before. I need to know that you're not about to pull some bullshit because like, I, I care about Ethan and he cares about me and I can't let that happen. He's too good of a person. I love this this movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's such a beautiful scene, man. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I think this movie completely um, defines the character. I mean, it's only that scene with Bing Rhames the scene earlier with alec baldwin at the very beginning when they're about to load the plane before henry cavill comes in and he's like i i might be uh misquoting here a little bit but he says something to ethan like um you're you have like a very significant flaw in your being which is like you can't choose between one life or a million lives like you have to save the one life and you see that as a weakness but it's your greatest strength and holy shit, like mm-hmm. that entire line just epitomizes Ethan Hunt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Entirely. Uh, what were you gonna say, Hunter? Oh no, I, I I was gonna bring that up about how like this is the I think that they kind of started to figure it out earlier on, but they actually kind of put it in writing about what Ethan Hunt is as a character, that there is something with his brain that he cannot separate one life and a million lives. It's just, if a life is lost, then a life is lost, regardless of the number. He's just all about kind of saving the next person in front of him. And it just, it works so well in this movie. One other thing I wanted to bring up about uh, Rebecca Ferguson, um, because I think that she is just so, so good in this franchise and, and at injects such a new level of life to the franchise. And I think that also part of one of the reasons that I love her is her fighting style. Mm-hmm. And I really wish that things like uh, Marvel with like the black widow movies and stuff like that would kind of take a page out of the mission impossible playbook to be like, Hey, women can just be badasses and they don't have to be like overtly sexy while they do it. Like, I think that that's one thing that is really, really cool about this movie is that like Rebecca Ferguson can just be wearing a trench coat and kicking some dude's ass. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be in this overtly kind of like, ooh, look, I'm a woman, but I'm also really good at fighting in any kind of way like that. And I think that's really, really cool that this franchise does that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing, like, I think some movies, like, probably the Marvel movies, even though I love them, that's definitely a thing where they have to, like, make Black Widow overwhelmingly sexy, like, in every mm-hmm. scene. Or, like, even, um, and not to talk shit about my beloved Fast and Furious franchise, mm-hmm. but those movies almost have to make the women macho. Mm-hmm. Like, they have to make them, like, you know, and not that women can't be macho, but, like, they make them, like, as aggressive as, as the guys. But I think the Mission Impossible franchise, especially with Elsa Faust, completely understand that you don't have to do either of those things. You just give her her own, like, just character. It's like her own fighting style. 
she's not going to fight the same as Ethan because she's not Ethan. Mm-hmm. Like, I think yeah. the scene, the best epitomizes that is the scene kind of at the end where she's trying to save uh, Benji. Um, and he's like on a noose, which oh. is like a fucking insane scene. Oh my God. It's so good. And the way she's just, it's a brutal fight between her and Solomon Lane. Like, oh my God, dude. Like I had chills just thinking about it. Like it's so like bare knuckle, like brutal. It, I, and that's one thing I wish that the Fast and Furious franchise would get over. It's like, cause they have that thing with um, Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson and the, and the contracts, they can't lose a fight. But the character, each actor in this movie, they're not afraid to lose a fight. They get so bloody, so like, they get beaten up severely at points and it makes it all the better. Cause I don't think I've ever seen an action movie other than like Mad Max Fury Road. Then I genuinely didn't feel the safety for these characters in this movie. Like if this movie ended with like one of the main characters dying, I wouldn't have been surprised because this movie just sets it up so well that I would have believed it, you know? Um, so uh, any, uh, any final thoughts on fallout Hunter before we go to ranking? Um, well, for one, uh, we didn't bring it up, but Christopher McQuarrie did uh, push a IMAX camera out of a, out of a plane and <laughs> did that whole parachute sequence is just like absolutely incredible. Works really well to kind of establish certain key things about the Ethan um, Ethan's relationship with Henry Cavill Henry Cavill's character in a really cool way. And also that entire third act is just perfect in every way. It's a perfect action set piece in that it showcases each of the characters, individual traits and what they can kind of bring to the show while also being the most gorgeous thing ever to look at. And never forget that Tom Cruise learned how to fly a helicopter in a month in order to do it in this movie. Because he is a crazy person, and we love him for that. Uh (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I guess we didn't really talk about, like, the, like, very last fight between uh, him and uh, Henry Cavill, which is just, holy shit. Like, it's so brutal. Like, the beating that Henry Cavill gets at the end of this movie is, like, otherworldly. Like, he gets uh, the oil spilt on him, and it completely burns his face. He gets completely fucked up. And I didn't think he would die. I thought that was going to be, like, one of those signature trademarks that a villain in a franchise has, like a, a burn mark from the hero. Mm-hmm. Like, almost how Blofeld in the 007 movies has, like, mm-hmm. that eye thing. Um, I thought that was going to be his signature thing, he was going to come back. But no, they fucking kill him. And the best death I think <laughs> I've seen in, like, the past 10 years, the hook to the face. Oh, my God. <laughs> the, the hook goes right through his head. And it pulls him down and explodes on top of that. Like he goes through 30 minutes of an ass whooping in this movie. And it is perfect. Um, I mean, Joey, any final thoughts on fallout? Uh, yeah, this movie is a masterpiece. Uh, it's the action film to beat for the time being. I think it's one of the best films, uh, one of the best action films ever. And I think it's, I, I, I am, I, Christopher McQuarrie has said, that um, the stunts that they are doing in the six and seven and eight make him sick. So I can't wait to see where the franchise goes. I mean, did you guys see the uh, controversy with like uh, them yep. blowing up the bridge in Poland? Yeah, apparently it was it wasn't as big of a thing as it was originally announced. Then again, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Tom Cruise 
just no regard for historical artifacts and just wants to blow it up because <laughs> they look cool. Dude, let I him mean, do it. <laughs> he is going to space. He is going to shoot a movie in space. This is this is my Tom Cruise. This is why he is the greatest action star of all time. Let him let him blow up the bridge. I'm I don't give a shit about history. Let him do it. <laughs> okay, we'll just see who gets there first: the Fafs family or Tom Cruise. We'll just see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean this this movie's perfect, and if Macquarie is like uh, promising that seven and eight are going to be even crazier than uh, or wait, uh, is it eight and nine? I I can't even remember at this point. Um, I think uh, all there, is. Yeah, seven and eight. There's seven two. And eight. That's more, right. Yeah, two more movies expected in the franchise. The thing is that, like, I don't want. I'm sorry, Adam. I'm very sorry to say this, but I don't want it to go the Fast and the Furious route. I don't want it to get too insane. I think the one thing that I love about this movie is, as crazy as it as it is, it is still about the characters, and it doesn't ever lose that, and it still has some sense of realism despite there always being some kind of terror group that wants to get plutonium to blow up places what I, I take all that aside it does still have some kind of sense of realism and uh physics unlike the Hobbs and Shaw um sorry again Adam but <laughs> breaking my heart Hunter <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry this wasn't meant to be a personal attack on you but I I think that that's kind of the next closest ip thing that we have that isn't marvel that isn't like a disney franchise right now right. so that's kind of the closest piece of comparison yeah no i mean and, you know funny as it may seem i agree with you about that because mm-hmm. i don't i don't want mission impossible to jump the shark like i don't want yeah. them to because i really don't think they have like some people say they have but i i think if you're looking at them through the context of mission impossible like where the franchise started. I don't think anything they've done in the past, like three, four movies are as crazy as like the stuff they make you believe in the first movie, like with the masks and the train sequence, like it all seems completely plausible to me. It's insane action, but it doesn't, I think it just feels really genuine because there's really not much CGI. A lot of it is completely practical and it completely works because it's just so genuine and I think these last two movies in particular just feel that way because it, it like, and not to, you know, take away from what Brad Bird did or J.J. Abrams did, or even, um, uh, you know, um, like De Palma. Don't know why I blanked on his name. Um, like what they did. But these, like these last two in particular, there feels like a genuine artistry to the direction that I just, I haven't seen like in an action movie in like such a long time. I mean, save for Mad Max Fury Road. I feel we keep bringing that up, mm-hmm. but it, it has to be said because it's so acclaimed. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is just one of the few IPs that is just firing all cylinder, cylinders and hasn't lost its identity. And I love that for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're going to try to go to rank these movies. Um, it's only six movies, so it won't take too long. Um, so boys, I got to ask you, do any of you <laughs> have objection to Mission Impossible 2 being at number six? No. Uh, yeah, after we after our discussion, <laughs> I'm willing to move it up to number one. <laughs> <laughs> Was it the uh, the jousting scene that it, really did it for you? It's firmly at number six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, look, I mean, me and Hunter both really enjoy this movie, as we said, but it's, I mean, just in comparison to the other ones, it's just not as good. Mm-hmm. So Mission Impossible 2 is our number six. Um, Hunter, I'm curious, what is your vote for number five? 
it it hurts to put it here because I think that this franchise, as much as I really enjoy Mission Impossible 2, I think this is a five for six franchise as at least making good movies. But I would put Mission Impossible 1 here. And that it kind of hurts me to say that because every time I revisit this movie as an adult, I enjoy it more and more because it is kind of the most quote unquote grown up of the movies. But I still I just like some of the other films a bit more that I think that I would put one here. Um, Joey, what's your vote? I would also put one here. Um, I would also put one here um, <laughs> pretty much for the reasons Hunter said. I mean, I love one and I love mm-hmm. it every time I rewatch it, but it's just not as good as the other ones, which yeah. is crazy to say, because <laughs> if this was any other franchise, it might be the best one. But because it's such a banger of a franchise, it's firmly number five, I think. Okay, so that's a number five. Um, Joey, do you want to tell us your vote for number four? My vote for number four is Mission Impossible 3. Um, Hunter, do you agree with that? I, I agree with that. <laughs> and I also agree. This is very civil. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we make it all the way to the top like this. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll just say uh, my vote for number three is... One that I'm not even completely convinced I believe, because I think the like the three that we haven't voted for yet are so interchangeable in quality mm-hmm. that it's hard to like I don't know, like place them. But for now, I'll say Rogue Nation is my number three. Um but I could be swayed if you guys have a different pick. Uh so Hunter, what is your pick for number three? I would put Ghost Protocol on there. Um just because I don't think that it quite has the same emotional hook that rogue nation does um i mean of course ilsa is not introduced yet until uh rogue nation but also i i don't really love the um uh who's uh paula Patton, uh her character who's the uh, jane carter the other part of the group um i don't like that jeremy renner kind of took ving rames spot as much as I think the Dubai sequence is excellent, like I said, it is my favorite extended sequence probably in the entire franchise. Overall, as a movie, I still – I think that I prefer Rogue Nation, which is kind of a newer opinion that I have had. But I think that I would take Rogue Nation over Ghost Protocol. I think I agreed with you like a few weeks ago, but like I, this, something about this last rewatch of Ghost Protocol just like – put me back in 2011 i think mm-hmm. where i was like no like this movie's a banger like it's just i don't know um joey um i'm gonna tiebreaker. i'm gonna put uh, i also have rogue nation in this spot um i think rogue nation is amazing i, I was singing its praises earlier but i just think i think they kind of topped it with fallout so it's kind of hard to watch a rogue nation in a sense because i mean it is another macquarie film and they very do much they very much feel cut from the same cloth and i just it's kind of a bit underwhelming compared to how just incredible fallout is but i still think rogue nation is really great and also i think ghost protocol just has a little more like like zest to it you know what i mean like i mean and it has the i mean the burj khalif sequence alone is just absolutely splendid yeah so, but that's know. why i would put it i'd put rogue below it yeah i don't know like i i feel bad because like you watch yeah, rogue nation <laughs> and it's like you watch rogue nation and it's like it's so fucking good and i i I can't really object to it. Like, I, it's it's really kind of splitting hairs between these two movies. I kind of revisit each of them for different things, depending on what I'm looking for in the franchise. So it's really just kind of comes down to little personal taste. 
I think that both of them have so much to offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, weirdly enough, I would give them both like nine out of tens for my rating. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're both pretty equal in quality. I just, I, I honestly might give Ghost Protocol the um, edge just because of that one, uh, which is Burj Khalifa. Like, mm-hmm. that's the that might be the thing that breaks it for me, just because that set piece is, is still maybe single-handedly the most impressive one they've ever done. Yeah. Like, that might do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I, I guess the list kind of writes itself now. <laughs> um, so I guess it's Ghost Protocol number two, and then Mission Impossible Fallout at number one. Yeah. <laughs> uh Yeah, I just, I love this movie uh, mm-hmm. so much, and I, uh, I, I, there was no world where this wasn't number one. Um, so Hunter, I'm glad we had you on for this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I've been a big fan of the pod. Uh, I know I, I met you a couple years ago, Adam. I'm glad that, uh, being the film chat, I think that, uh, uh I, I never really talked to you before, Joe, but it was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, having it was, a little it was, it was very nice. Discussion. It's nice to get to yeah. know you, Hunter. <laughs> um, you, we agree about a couple things, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, Hunter, where do you want people to find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Hunt Mobley, H-U-N-T-M-O-B-L-E-Y. You can also find me on Letterboxd at Hunt Mobley. Um, I've right now been doing a watch through of every movie to ever win Best Picture. Um, uh, there's been a few stinkers along the way, but I've been trying to still consecrate thoughts for even the most forgettable films ever i think i'm up to braveheart right now so oh wow you're pretty far along then mm-hmm. yeah uh shout out to the pandemic for really helping me <laughs> i'm getting done so much fat i planned on i was like oh well i'll have until about february or march if i want to get done by next year but um one of the few good things that's happened from all this and uh you can also listen to uh, podcast that I am on, We Bought a Mic, uh, that's available on Spotify, uh, Apple, Google Play, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts, we're on there. And speaking of my Oscar watch through, we just did Silence of the Lambs, which is my personal favorite movie of all time. Close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, got, I still got to listen to the Silence of the Lambs pod. Um, I'll also plug We Bought a Mic because, <laughs> like I said at the top, um, We Bought a Mic is probably responsible for the AOK pod um just because i had such a great experience uh on we bought a mic i always wanted to do a podcast but i don't think it was until like hunter like got me over my anxieties of recording a podcast mm-hmm. that i fully wanted to do it um and each week i uh listen to we bought a mic and i'm just like i, I love the boys and i love their mm-hmm. dudes sometimes they're hot spicy but i uh i always love listening to it and if they you, also have a, if you want some pop culture talk with like a little bit of bits mixed in, then this it's a good podcast for you. <laughs> yeah, and a good Ernie tune at the beginning every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, and also I, I want to say probably my favorite one you guys did during quarantine so far was the H24 bracket. Uh, <laughs> loved that one. So guys, definitely if check you, out We Bought a Mic. If you want to hear me, uh, I you might like this. Um, I get very bitter and I do vote out Moonlight early because <laughs> I'm very upset because there was no love shown towards Enemy, the best Denis Villeneuve film. And so I did Whoa! Get, I, I don't. Okay, I don't know. It's <laughs> a pretty hot take, Hunter. I wasn't expecting that. Look, here. <laughs> All right, here. Then just get ready. Here it comes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, me and, uh, I mean, uh, for listeners, they heard it last week, uh, but on the A24 bracket, we, we also voted out enemy on the first round, mm-hmm. um, where I, I feel bad, Hunter, but <laughs> I, I, I can't agree with that one. But I think that's why I liked the episode so much was because it was very, uh, it was tense. I didn't know what you guys were going to pick. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, guys, definitely tune into We Bought a Mic. Uh, it's awesome each week and all the hosts are great. Um, Joey, where can everyone find you online? You can find me at Joseph underscore Salamone on most platforms. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at Adam underscore not Sandler and Letterboxd at Adam Sidorius. And you can follow my other podcast, The Zillion Canon. We just wrapped up an amazing run with the Summer of Sandman, Summer of Sandler, uh, where we watched four consecutive Sandler movies each week through the month of July. And it turned out probably as you'd expect. Um, and uh, we also did The Fast and Furious this week, my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> um, so if you want to listen to that, um, go for it. And also, if you want to follow the pod itself, uh, you can follow us on uh, Instagram at AOK uh, Podcast. And, uh, ins- no, I know, so I got that mixed up. And <laughs> on Instagram at Aggressively OK Podcast and Twitter at AOK Pod. Uh, still getting used to this new name change, boys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and hey, I, like, I like the name change. I like it. Do you know why we did the name change? No. No, no, no. Because another... fuck the Final Shot podcast. That's why we did the name change. <laughs> <laughs> There's another Final Shot podcast, and they sent us a cease and desist letter. What? Really? Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Guys, you still have time to enter in their fleshlight giveaway if you rush on over there. Tell them AOK Pod sent you. Yeah, they're literally giving away a fleshlight on Facebook. So, I mean, if if a boxing podcast is an issue with us, is it a is it a very different type of uh, final shot that they? Oh, literally, uh, it's a boxing podcast. <laughs> a Canadian boxing podcast, no doubt. Like, oh, that's incredible. I can't believe you guys cease and desist later. Well, I, honestly, aggressively okay is an even better title, so I like that more. So it's been, it worked it, out better for you. It's the name of uh, Joey's uh, production, production company. company. Yeah. So we were uh, we just thought, hey, we could expand the brand a little just bit. Just because I own I own aggressively okay, the no one else can use it, so I have it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, if so for anyone that didn't know that story, now you know why we've had three name changes. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, if you guys and we'll be back next week. Uh, we haven't exactly decided what we're gonna do next week, but. Um, just tune in. Uh, it's going to be up on Friday like it is always. Um, Shout out to the Night is Young podcast coming out real soon. <laughs> and I'll, I'll look forward to the uh, Zach text when he hears that. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Until next time, boys. Uh, keep gaming. Keep quarantining. And keep uh, Im- doing those impossible missions. See you next time.